You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling out to our helping spirits. So I call out to the ancestral helping spirits. I call out to yours and to mine, to those people who lived well and died well and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in that rich legacy into our lives so that we, the living, can learn from those who have gone before us. I call out to these ancestors to gather round and help us to remember that which is true throughout the ages, those things that resonate resonate as truth again and again. And may we call those things into our lives and learn to work with them in the context of the time we are in. And I call out to these ancestors to help us to not repeat the same problems. Help us to go on that other fork of the road and help us to know when we're actually standing there at that choice. To help us to learn from their mistakes and to go forward in new ways and to bring to bear our capacity to innovate and change and create things that have never yet existed. So I call out to these ancestors to be here with the living and help us to rise to the challenges of our time in a good way. To bring our heart to bear as we bring our power into the world in the manifestation of the gifts that our era so dearly needs. So we call out to these ancestors and give thanks for their presence around us. And we turn our awareness now to the most essential and old ancestor, the earth herself. And we take a moment in this day to simply touch the earth, either with our hands or our feet or with our minds, if we're sitting somewhere removed from the earth listening to this show. Let us touch the earth in some way and give thanks Thanks for life. Thanks for this day. Thanks for the beauty and the wonder all around us. Thanks for the great diversity and this opportunity to turn diversity into abundance. And we give thanks to the earth for all of these rich gifts we have been given, especially those we have not yet figured out how to open. For these are the ones that will take us to those aspects of ourself we are disconnected from. So we give gratitude to the earth and the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we enjoy it to the face of this planet. And we give thanks for the generosity in that dream that allows us to change as long as we are still breathing. So with this gratitude to the earth pouring out of our hearts into all layers of the earth... Let's move our energy down from where we are, from our head to our heart, our heart to our belly, and down into the earth. Reaching through the layers of the earth, allowing our gratitude to roll out into all the layers of the earth in all directions. 
as we continue to move our energy down to the very center of the earth. And we take a moment here in the center of the earth to connect to this place of stillness, of darkness, of silence. This place of non-emotion. This place that is this essential energy that restores and rejuvenates and renews us. So we connect with this energy of the earth and draw it up. This energy that comes forth in so many ways on the face of this earth to give the abundance that supports life. And so we call this renewing energy up, up through all the layers of the earth and into our body. And we draw on this energy to understand how to ground ourselves in our bodies and in this day. We call on this energy of the earth to help us to understand for ourselves, each one of us, where do we stand? What do we stand for in life? What are we willing to truly give our lives to, to make it manifest? This this is the ground on which we stand. And let us understand that each from our own hearts. And with this energy of the earth, then let us build our sense of home and our sense of family and our sense of belonging, not necessarily from this knee-jerk response to nations and bloodlines, but to what truly resonates with our heart, what has meaning, what has purpose, and what is the legacy we want to leave for those who are coming. Let us build that as our home, our place, and our nation. And so with the energy of the earth, we also ask that we can all learn to continue to connect and to understand this interconnection of the energies in all forms, in all ways around us and ultimately reach through the energy of the earth to experience the oneness of all things. And may we take our relationship with ourself from that oneness, not from our ego, not from outside expectations, but from that moment of blessing in our life when we can feel ourselves as one with all things. In that way, we come into right relationship with ourself and then right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment around us, and right relationship with the invisible world. And so with the energy of the earth helping us how to manifest ourself, our actions, our thoughts, everything in a good way for all living things, let us draw the energy up from the belly, up into the heart, from the heart to the mind, from the mind out into the sky and whatever it holds for you today, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos. And let us reach our energy that is at once grounded firmly on earth, Let us reach it up into the heavens, all the way out in the cosmos to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you name that energy, name it. Hear the resonance of that name. See yourself in it and it in you as you acknowledge your own divinity. And we draw this energy down into ourselves, into this day, into these proceedings. We call this energy in to bring us blessing, to bring us protection, to bring us generosity and benevolence that is inherent in this universe, bringing in all the wisdom of the cosmos and bringing in this beneficence of the world in which we live. We call these energies in that we might be inspired, that our way might be illuminated. We call these energies into our head down into our heart, into our bellies, and connect these energies down to the center of the earth.
And with the earth drawn up to the highest power of the universe and the highest power of the universe drawn down to the center of the earth. We connect these two great energies, these two legendary lovers. And together, merged in this way through our intention, through our focus, these lovers come together and we are filled with the big love. This energy that has brought this experience of form into existence here that we call life. And we ask that energy of the big love to awaken the true spirit in our heart. Not the spirit that worries about romance and our own personal issues and passions, our own selfish love. But that awakens the true full capacity of love in the human heart. And with the heart open as it is meant to be, as this true crucible for transformation in our lives. Let us reach down from that crucible and draw up the fiery passions of our belly, those which may be unknown to us. We draw these true passions up into the heart where they may be in their fiery calling out to life itself. And we draw down this crystal clear clarity of the mind into the heart that we may Be with firm feet on the ground and a clear understanding of our time and create how it is that we might do what we have come here to do. And so we let these two energies dance, a great passionate dance in our heart, until in that dynamic tension they give birth to this third and most sacred thing. A true memory, a true sense, a true feeling in the heart of why it is that you are here. And may you find in your heart courage to do something today, large or small, to make that sensation of why you are here real in the world, in your life in some way. So we give great gratitude to the earth below, the sky above, the ancestors that hold us gathering round. We call out to our helping spirits and the ancestors in many forms out into nature out into the earth and sky. We call all these energies in to help us here today, to hold us that we might do what we are called to do as the living in our time. May what needs to be said today be said, what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I give great gratitude for the spirits gathering round as we go through the day. And I give great thanks to the human spirits that gather around these radio shows. And I have enormous gratitude to all of you who have donated over the past six weeks when I've been essentially offline. Um, I'm enormously grateful. There are too many people to name at this time. I'm behind in offering that gratitude. So just understand I'm deeply, deeply grateful. I appreciate those new people who have never donated before and also those people that have found a way to donate um, automatically through PayPal um, on a monthly basis. It is all so very, very welcome. For those of you that might be listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. Um, If this show moves you in any way, If it moves you into inspiration or frustration, if it gives you ideas for your own shamanic practice or it irritates you and makes you want to fire off a challenging email to me, either way, no matter what, you have been moved in the heart. And this is the most essence of the essence of shamanic teachings, which is to allow the things that motivate you in the heart to motivate you then into action. 
And so I ask you, if you are moved by the show in any way, to do something to support the show, to give back and to let there be this great cycling of energy that is truly how things in life actually work. And so I give um, gratitude to those of you who are able to donate financially to the show. There are a number of costs, thousands of dollars every year, to keep the show out there and available, to keep it free for those who can connect to the Internet, and to keep these archives um, alive and well. And so I give great gratitude to those of you who can donate financially. If you would like to, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, the show uh, website, and through the support button, you can donate any amount, large or small. All of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air, and I'm deeply grateful for those of you who are able to do that. If you're uncomfortable paying online, that's fine. You can email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org, and I would, happy, I would be happy to give you a regular address for a regular check. Um, at the same time, keep in mind, those of you that are not able to donate financially, that is not the only thing that we offer to the world. This is not just a consumer society, especially when we start talking about shamanism. There are many things you can do to support the show and keep it alive that have to do with listening, bringing these ideas into your journey circles, into your own shamanic practice, letting me know what your questions are as you do that. Often the questions lead to the next show that helps to deepen our understanding of that aspect of shamanism and practice, Um, to share the show to comment on it um, in your own life out there on the internet, anything you can do to support the show in any way, I am deeply grateful for. Um, I'm grateful for your show ideas, for your questions, and also for your comments and your uh, interaction around the ideas that we're talking about. So thank you all for everything that you're doing to keep the show alive and well and relevant in our time. So we are live today after many weeks of pre-recorded shows, um, and so if you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or simply email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and uh, we'd be happy to include your questions on the air. So today we're continuing, we have a couple more shows in this series about different ways of looking at illness and in particular mental illness and in so doing, in looking at the whole issue, situation from a very, very different perspective, we end up not only diagnosing the situation differently, but because of that, we also end up with a whole array of different possible remedies Um, And so as I was getting ready for today's show um, in the wee hours of this morning, uh, this candle on my ancestral shrine exploded. And I've heard of this before, but it's actually never happened to me. Other things have exploded, but not candles on my altars and shrines. So anyway, so this candle explodes on my ancestral shrine this morning. And... um, so I'm cleaning it up and, and thinking, hmm, probably should sit back down here and listen. So, <laughs> so I sat back down at my ancestral shrine and just listened. Um, and as I was listening, uh, my ancestors took me back over this retreat that I just returned from yesterday. And yes, I am a little bit off my game here because I am exhausted from two months of teaching. Um, 
which is deeply nourishing in my soul, but I am pooped. So uh, you're going to have to cut me some slack today. So anyway, um, I'm with my ancestral helping spirits and sort of gently reviewing these, these five days of the Masks of Illusion retreat. And what they're, they're showing me is sort of reviewing this retreat experience from the perspective of mental illness. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not saying that anyone who is at the retreat is mentally ill. But what I'm saying is that, well, actually, they're extremely robust group, very diverse in, in their expression of gender, big range across age, range across class. Um, they're from different parts of the world, um, not enormously diverse racially, but it still wasn't a circle just of a bunch of white people. And so it was a very small group and a very diverse group. And sometimes that uh, can be a problem because it's as if there's not enough kind of vanilla people in between to connect the very diverse and different people. But what was so unique about this group is the way in which it's as if everyone is so unique in their own life and have had such a such an experience of not really being accepted or included as they've gone through their life that for all of these people to then come together in a circle whereas a matter of just the baseline premise of the group everyone is accepted and included and and everyone in the group seemed equally shocked at actually having that experience of simply being accepted, taken at face value, here we go. Now we're in this circle and now we're doing this ritual. And, that, and everybody just had this sort of unfolding joyful experience of actually being included. And um, so then in the context of that, my ancestral helping spirits were showing me how as this group of very diverse people, this small circle is coming together day after day, more and more and more as a coherent circle. And each day we're stepping into a different elemental ritual for transformation. Um, so it's a very intensive week. But what, anyway, but what the ancestors were showing me is so here this group steps in to ritual with the fire. And the ancestors are showing me is how in doing that, the individuals were able to lift off a certain mantle of stories. And then as they stepped into ritual with the earth, this other collection of stories were lifted off. And as they stepped in to ritual with the water, another mantle of stories are lifted off. And how as they went through each day, you know, finally stepping into ritual with the air, how these stories they carried about themselves. And these are limiting stories, what I call small s stories. The stories we carry that shape and color and drive our life, but they are not necessarily stories of truth. They are stories we've gleaned from our experience in life but they are not necessarily truth. And this is tricky for people to understand because it has been our experience, which is largely held through our perception of that experience. We think it's truth. We think it's fact. We think it's history. But we don't realize that it's actually a mutable and change, changing substance in our life. And that I may carry a story from when I was five and that story tells me that I'm unworthy. Is that story true? 
Well, the experience happened, but the way I carry that story isn't true because I'm not unworthy. And so this is what I mean by these stories being lifted off, these stories that we carry. And this is what the ancestors wanted me to see is how in each elemental ritual, these layers of stories were lifted off the people. Now, granted, the people will need to take action to make these new patterns real in their lives. But the point is, now they can because of this ritual action. So two things came out of this relative to our conversation today about seeing what we call mental illness in a different way. So two things came out of this. And actually many things came out of the week. But relative to today's show, there are two things the ancestors wanted me to focus on. And one is... Um, that these stories that were being lifted off in, in some way so effortlessly through this ritual process are actually the root. It's like the fertile ground for mental illness. So we can see these stories as potential for mental illness. And so in other words, we who share a culture all carry our particular culture's versions of these different stories. Um, and together, these stories create a foundation, um, a possibility, a potentially fertile ground in our life for diseases of the heart and mind. Now, the second thing the ancestors wanted me to see, though, is that not at all coincidentally, the actions these people engaged in together to work in ritual, to lift the stories were the same actions that result in the beginnings of forging actual community. And by actual community, I mean people consciously choosing to work together um, at the purpose of their lives and share values, share a set of cultural values. Even though we come from all these diverse different places that we're actually choosing to share these values and live from them now and then to do that, to actually make that real, to do the work together to each individually clear the other values that we carry that would undermine the ones we are consciously choosing to live from at this time. That's really the minimum we need if we're going to truly call ourselves community at our, in our time because most of us carry stories about being in community the first community we're in being our family that keep us from being able to gauge, engage in actual shamanic community not just we shared this shamanic experience together and therefore we are, we are gathered around this um, course of training but that we're actually choosing to live in community together as shamanic people in this contemporary time and in that sharing a set of values, which then creates the foundation for restoring our spiritual and, and mental health and well-being. In, in a sense, recovering from the illness of our culture. So anyway, this is, this is my sense right now, at least, of why the candle exploded. And so this is what we're continuing to talk about today, which we actually already began two weeks ago. The way that if we see the root of mental illness differently, we diagnose – or what we call mental illness differently, we would diagnose it differently. And from that, 
we, we get access to a different set of treatments. Um, so I want to share a post uh, today from Kai Armand, who's a root doctor and amazing human being at Conjure in the City in Manhattan. And this is, a, this is a, from a Rwandan talking about his experience with Western mental health workers and depression. Um, and he's speaking about this experience to a Western writer named Andrew Solomon. And so the, this is the Rwandan's comment about these mental health workers. So we had a lot of trouble with Western mental health workers who came here immediately after the genocide. And we had to ask some of them to leave. <laughs> uh, they came and their practice did not involve being outside in the sun where you begin to feel better. There was no music or drumming to get your blood flowing again. There was no sense that everyone had taken the day off so that the entire community could come together to try to lift you up and bring you back to joy. There was no acknowledgement of the depression as something invasive and external that could actually be cast out again. Instead, they would take people one at a time into these dingy little rooms and have them sit around for an hour or so and talk about bad things that had happened to them. We had to ask them to leave. So this is from the Moth podcast. Um, the particular podcast is Notes on an Exorcism. Um, and so this is just such a beautiful snippet today as I was trying to get back on the horse here to do the shows after weeks off and lots and lots and lots of weeks of back-to-back -back teaching. And I, it was just lovely to see this pop up today on the feed and, and be reminded that I am certainly not the only person trying to talk about this. So we're continuing then on this exploration of how we could look at what we diagnose as mental illness differently. And I would want to explore now today the ideas of David Tacey, who is an author and a teacher and, and an Australian. He's um, an associate professor um, in humanities at La Trobe University in Melbourne and is recognized internationally as an authority in Jungian psychology, spirituality, and mental health. He is the author of many books. And the one that I, in particular that I'd like to explore is a recent book entitled Gods and Diseases, Making Sense of Our Physical and Mental Well-Being. And this particular book is not written in academic language. Um, and in, in my personal opinion, the writing of this book is really beautiful, especially the beginning where he's laying out um, the sort of the, the ground of, of the idea that he's putting forth. I, I think it's unbelievably beautiful. Um, and reading it has the flow of a great story, even though it is really not a, a storybook. But then perhaps it is. You know, in a sense, perhaps this way of looking at things is the beginning of a new story. Maybe it is the beginning of a new story of how contemporary people find their way through the ever-deepening and widening pool of mental illness and unwellness in our contemporary world. Perhaps this is the beginning of leaving behind the old story and the old explanation behind this, this ever-deepening pool of dis-ease. And are beginning to discover uh, who must journey with us if we are to call 
ourselves into wellness and to become these people uh, who can who can move through this pool of unwellness into this possibility of new people in a new world and leave this legacy behind. But before I get too carried away with this idea of the new story and how different people are beginning, I think, to tell parts of it and how it will become important in the not-too-distant future for those parts of the story to begin to weave together. But until then, I do want to take a moment and be very, very clear that Tacey is a very respected and respectable academic. His book is not about shamanism. What his work includes is the impact of indigenous peoples, the impact of the dreaming, and the impact of the land itself, of Australia, on him and his life, and how simply growing up, you know, living his life impacted by these energies affects the way that he sees things and understands things, that it has affected the development of self and in that then the development of his ideas. Um, and so what I, what I want to explore is this, this an, yet another perspective on looking at the root of illness and disease. So in Gods and Diseases, Tacey explains that what we diagnose generally as mental illness today um, is growing to ever more to be ever more resistant to reason, resistant to logic, resistant to the very pharmaceuticals that are so much a part of this great pool of mental unwellness and mental illness, and growing ever more resistant to the medicines that have been developed in in all ways, pharmaceutical, talk therapy, analysis, all these things that have developed around trying humanity's efforts to rise up and respond to this suffering. And, and yet, the suffering itself seems to grow ever more resistant to the very things that we create to try to meet that suffering. And so what Tacey asks is, what if these are not illnesses of the mind, but diseases of the spirit? So he lays out the argument that by shutting spirit out of our lives our beliefs, our just contemporary belief systems that so rely on reason and the dominance of the mind, that we have forced spirit in our life to enter through a side door, and that's the side door of illness. And so he's, he's proposing that when we understand how spirit is trying to work through us or work with us through Ill- disease and illness, we can begin to see our suffering in a different way. And we can see that it can be resolved by other means and that it can be actually transformed, but only when we introduce the dimension of our soul into the healing equation. So Tacey explains it this way in the beginning of his book. Since we, meaning us, the contemporary people, make no room for the gods and do not respect them or invest energy or interest in their well-being, the situation that we face is difficult. In 1929, Jung announced the gods have become diseases because they 
seem to have no other option uh, in our lives than to become factors of disturbance. Since our minds ignore them, the only place they have left to make themselves felt and draw our attention is in our bodies, in sufferings and sexual disturbances. So then we might listen, but even then we might not. Some of us seem more prepared to suffer blindly, mutely, than to admit that the world might be enchanted by forces beyond ourselves. And so this is the piece, obviously, where Tacey is actually connecting in to why shamanism now, not necessarily my radio show, but this question, why would we bother as reasonable, educated, um, contemporary people, why would we bother with shamanism now? And this seems to me to be exactly why. Because in our suffering, many of us will still suffer blindly and mutely and stay in that suffering rather than simply accept that our world might be enchanted by forces beyond ourselves. And so what shamanism offers us is reliable skills to engage with those forces beyond ourselves in a safe way, in a way that is good for us and good for those around us. And this this possibility of actually not abandoning what we understand through the advancements of the mind, But to understand that the mind is not our human being's only way of knowing things. That we also know things through our heart, we know things through our spirit, and we actually know things through our body. And that the human being is designed for all four of those voices of wisdom within ourselves to speak together. And that when we create a life that allows the voice of the mind to dominate that of spirit, that of the heart, that of the body, that we create an imbalance inside of ourselves that forces the larger forces in the world, those forces that are precede humans and will be hereafter, to, to relate to us by causing suffering instead of just using the capacity of the heart to connect with these forces, using through skilled teachings the capacity of the spirit to connect to what we would call spirit energies or archetypal energies or gods. And so this is this is really the realm that Tacey is talking about is in refusing a place in our hearts, in our lives, for the rest of ourselves and these other forces the rest of ourselves engage much more easily with than the mind. That we force these forces to come in through this side door of illness. And the important thing about these forces beyond ourselves is that they exist here with or without us. They are not simply constructs of the human mind. That they are present, they are inherent in our universe with us. And so they will relate to us 
whether we do so skillfully or not, and this is essentially what Tacey is saying, but with much fancier words, but that basically these energies are here, they are present, they are in our everyday life. It is our task to learn to interact with them. And in so doing, we create the foundation for mental and physical health and well-being because to forge those relationships, we bring the wisdom of the heart and the spirit into action with the wisdom of the mind. And so to circle back then to this group that were just in the Mass of Illusion retreat with me, So what the ancestors were showing me is how through this deep shamanic work, this returning to these elemental rituals, we were able to lift off these stories which together create the fertile soil for anxiety, for depression, for addictions, for challenges to how we engage with life, which every single person in that circle would admit to having some of, of one kind or another. And that in lifting these stories off through ritual, it gives the people who have participated in these shamanic activities the possibility to make changes that feel impossible for us to make when we are embedded in the stories, or perhaps we should say the stories are embedded in us. And those very actions that we take together, in a sense, for our own release, our own freedom from these stories, are actions that, not coincidentally, also forge true community. And this is a piece that we circle back to when we start talking about mental illness, just like the simple comment from the Rwandan, that in the it, mental illness or the things we call mental illness do not necessarily have to be seen as individual problems. And perhaps when they are, we are less able to address them. That perhaps they are more accurately seen as these energies that are larger than we are, that are actually community energies. And until we establish a true community to address them, individuals simply fall prey to carrying them for the community. So, because I'm somewhat exhausted from the last couple months, I'm actually going to continue next week exploring in more detail um, what Tacey is saying in his book. What I want to share today is what I've been thinking about in terms of challenges as I've been reading his book. You know, what are shamanic challenges Way we, ways we could engage shamanically in what Tacey is talking about. Because he's a Jungian scholar and so what he's talking about is, is very much in the realm of depth psychology and how, how we extend from that realm into actually bringing spirit into our understanding of what's going on. And it's, it's work that deserves its own show. I just need another week to organize myself around it because I'm pooped. So, But what I can talk about today is what I've been thinking about shamanically as I read it. Because he's not going to go there because that's not his, his realm of expertise. But I'm going to. Because I've seen over the last 25 years the unexpected power 
in simply being willing as contemporary people, as humble as our efforts may be, of stepping into ritual, into relationship with these forces beyond ourselves and asking for help. And in so doing, changing the soil of our life so that it changes from being this fertile soil for mental illness and disease and changes into soil that we can begin to plant the deep desires of our soul to live our soul's purpose and bear that fruit and not be distracted by disease and illness of the mind or the heart or the spirit or whatever it is. So here's some of the challenges that I've been thinking about as I've been reading this book. These are my mental wellness challenges. Um, So first off, before I tell you any of them, do not uh, do throw away your belief in the Western notion that the root of your mental illness and the treatment of your mental illness has been defined. You need to throw that belief out. With that said, I did not say throw out your meds. Don't be irresponsible about this. I'm not, I'm not encouraging that. Just take your meds and don't make a big deal out of it um, for now. What I am encouraging you to do if you're going to take any of these challenges is that you throw out your belief in that explanation for why you are experiencing what you're experiencing. Just throw out the diagnosis and the remedy as truth. And just allow yourself to be open to other possibilities. Just as Maladoma speaks of the other possibilities that I talked about two shows ago and um, Gabor Mate, that they are, we need to be willing, uh, at least temporarily, to throw out this conventional definition of why we're having this experience we're having and explore other possibilities. So for these challenges to work, you have to be willing to do that. And like I said, it doesn't mean you have to stop taking your meds, stop going to your therapist. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying throw out the belief that this is the way you must understand this. Okay, so I'm going to start out with journey challenges. Okay, Um, you're going to have to sense which of these journey challenges feels like fun for you right now um, or is scary for you right now. Either way, that's a good idea of how to pick which one. Do not do them all. Certainly not simultaneously and not even sequentially. That's not the point. The point is these are different avenues by which you could explore things through journeying. And I'm going to give some challenges that don't involve journeying. Okay, so journey challenge number one is about yin restoration. And the reason for this is because when we are deeply exhausted, not just that good exhaustion of a day well lived, but deeply exhausted because consistently over time we are not truly taking care of ourselves. So when we get into that place of energetic exhaustion, exhaustion, we actually start living in a kind of energetic panic. You know, our energy body begins to panic in the, in the idea that we're actually never going to do what we need to do to take care of ourselves because it's actually a life-threatening situation. Okay. So when our energy body begins to panic, um, particularly if we start getting sleep-deprived on top of it, we start making very poor decisions, We start making poor decisions around food and coffee and drugs and other addictions to intensity as a way to compensate 
for our valid lack of energy and clarity. And so this situation starts to escalate. The more we make poor decisions, the more we ravage our energy body, the less well we sleep, and so the more we make poor decisions to try to compensate. And so this really escalates into a state of being that is rich and ripe for mental and energetic unwellness. So this is the yin yin lake restoration. This is this is a journey sequence for that. Okay? So if that resonates as true for you, then the first journey is into your heart to ask your inner healer to take you to the aspect of yourself who is completely exhausted and depleted. So it's an internal manifestation of that part of yourself that is just wiped out from these chronically chronic poor choices. Okay. So you're going to pick that self up and carry this aspect of self with you on this journey in some way. I mean, you can carry it, you can stick it in a pack, you can put it on a stretcher, you can put it in a wheelbarrow, I don't care. But the point is you need to bring this aspect of yourself with you, right? Now, we haven't really started on this journey yet. That's just the beginning of it. But if that in and of itself becomes an issue for you in the journey, that to truly meet face-to-face your exhaustion and depletion shocks you and lays you out, because you realize actually the degree of damage you're doing to yourself, you may need to work with that with your helping spirits first. Okay. But assuming you can move on from there at some point, ultimately the point of the first journey is to ask your helping spirits to take you, the inner healer, and your exhausted self to darkness. Capital D, darkness. This is the essential restorative, replenishing energy of darkness, that sweet release of nightfall, of closing our eyes to go into meditation, of covering our eyes to go into the journey, of all of these things that we do to rest and restore and rejuvenate ourselves in the dark. So it's that darkness. And so you are to journey to that darkness. And when you get there, Greet darkness respectfully and ask for help. And assuming that you receive an affirmative when you ask for help from darkness, then your task in the first journey is to work with darkness to restore your exhausted self. Now, this is not a permanent fix. This does not substitute for your poor decisions. But it's an energetic fix that will allow you to do the journey sequence. And in doing the journey sequence, you should end up with the kinds of information that you need to actually fundamentally fix the chronic poor choices. Okay, so so the point of this journey number one is to get your exhausted self with you and your inner healer to darkness and restore your exhausted self to the degree that it can mobilize on its own accord. Okay. Now, journey number two in this sequence is once everyone can move on their own, right, then you're going to ask darkness to show you the path to get to your own yin lake. And then you're going to go to the lake as a group. So it's going to be you, your inner healer, and your temporarily restored, exhausted self. And you're all going to go, and your helping spirits. So you're all going to go then to the yin lake. And in this journey, 
each of you, from each of the three perspectives, your perspective, your inner healer's perspective, and your exhausted self's perspective, you're going to communicate with the yin-like and ask, what do I need to change in myself or my life to restore right relationship with you? So that the purpose of this journey is, is locating the yin lake and asking what actions you need to take to restore right relationship with the yin lake. Now, some of you might see the inherent potential paradox in that, that you're asking for more actions when you need to do, when, you, when you're trying to restore the yin lake. So many of these actions that you need to take will likely be things that involve rest, some sort of rejuvenation or replenishment. But nonetheless, they are, in this, in this situation, then new actions. Okay. So then you need to do these things and to continue doing them until your exhausted self isn't actually, actually exhausted anymore. And you have succeeded in restoring right relationship with your yin lake by how you live your life. And restoring right relationship from your perspective, from your inner healer's perspective, and your exhausted self's perspective. Okay, so now P.S. Do not avoid this version of the journey challenge just because you're a guy, right? I'm a guy. I don't have a yin-like. That's not true because every human has a yin-like. Okay. So that's journey challenge number one. Journey challenge number two has to do with the heart. And so the first journey is show me what it could feel like if I were able to align the full powers of my heart with my actions to the degree needed to live my soul's purpose. Now I realize that's a bit of a mouthful. But the important thing in this question is align the full powers, not power, powers, plural. Okay, so show me what it would feel like if I were able to align the full powers of my heart with my actions to the degree needed to live my soul's purpose. So this for many of you will be an experience you have never experienced in your life. It is a feeling of the full engagement of your heart, the full powers of your heart engaged in doing precisely what you've come here to do. Okay, so, but it gives you a sense of what that could feel like. And then in the next journey, it can be be a a journey sequence. It can be the the very next journey, but don't just do a big run-on journey. Come out of that journey, you know, take some notes from it or dance it or do something to embody that energy and then take the next journey. So the next journey is what does my current capacity to align the full powers of my heart with my actions feel like? So you're wanting to feel status quo relative to what is needed. Okay, so then the third journey in this particular journey challenge is what steps are needed to get from what is to what needs to be. So now within this same journey, so you're asking what steps are needed to get from what is to what needs to be. Once you have that sense of things, which some of them may be pretty broad brushstrokes, then within that journey you can ask, okay, great, given that answer, 
what are my first three steps? And those first three steps need to be actual steps you do feel you can take from where you are in this moment. So that's journey challenge number two. So there's a third journey challenge. And this has to do more with the second chakra and the garden, the garden of the second chakra. And for those of you that do garden journeys because you work with Hank or something like that, this this journey sequence may kind of make more sense to you. So anyway, you're going to journey into the garden of your second chakra. Now, this in and of itself might end up being work for some of you because you may have never journeyed into the garden of your second chakra and your second chakra garden may be a disaster. So you may need to do some work on the garden in the first place. So the garden needs to have a boundary around it. It needs to have a gate and a gatekeeper. And for most of us, the garden is cultivated in the front half of the garden and left wild in the back half of the garden. And then somewhere in the center where it's able to nourish everything is a fountain. And the the quote-unquote water in the fountain is symbolic of your life force energy bubbling into the garden and nourishing everything. Okay, so that in and of itself may be your first journey if your garden is a disaster. Okay, anyway, once the garden is workable, then you're going to work with the garden to show you um, a rep- basically a way to see or a representation of the four aspects of yourself. And you can kind of, I would organize it into a little medicine wheel, north, south, east, west. And so you could see this in the garden as different plants. So in the south of the medicine wheel, you're asking the garden to show you a representation of your body, self. In the West, you're asking the garden to show you a manifestation of your emotional self. In the North, you're asking the garden to show you a representation of your spirit self. And in the East, you're asking them to show you a representation of your mental self. And then you, in the journey, just want to relate with each one of them. You know, so you may find... Um, in the east, in the mental self, that there's some reasonably hardy plant that seems to be growing well and is largely getting what it needs to survive. But you may find in the spirit aspect of yourself that there's this um, cactus that is being utterly waterlogged in an environment that it can't grow in possibility so the point is you're working with this plant metaphor to explore the health of these different aspects of yourself your being okay so then the next journey is to journey into the garden to ask each plant that is an aspect of yourself to ask them what they need to be to robustly do their part in your ongoing living of your soul's purpose so in other words that little spirit a plant that was the cactus being drowned in the environment. Maybe it's not supposed to be a cactus at all. Maybe it's meant to be a great sequoia, or in other words, it needs to be a great sequoia for you to do what you've come here to do. And so this is what we're asking. We're asking the garden, we're asking each of the plants the garden has shown you to give you the image of what they need to be for you to do what you've come here to do. And so then the final journeys are then working with your helping spirits and these plant images to transform each plant from what it is to what it needs to be for you to live your soul's purpose. 
So those are the journey challenges, three very different journey challenges. I also have a dance challenge for those of you that don't want a journey, you want to dance. And I would suggest the dance challenge for those of you where you think there's no way in the world I'm doing the dance challenge. That's probably the one you should do. So it's not really a dance challenge. It's a movement challenge. And it comes out of being utterly re-inspired by my participants in the retreat last week where several of them said, I have never enjoyed dancing in my life or I've never enjoyed dancing like this in my life because when we use movement and dance in a shamanic context, it's completely removed from all of that social pressure and the social constraints um, to look good, to move well, to be sexy. I mean, it just takes us out of all of that social pressure and history. And it puts the dance or the movement into the service of expressing the energies within you. So the movement becomes an expression of energies that are present within yourself. And so it's about giving aspects of your inner self a voice that normally they do not have. And so the dance challenge has two parts. One part is the commitment, the rigorous commitment to dancing in your own space, to your own music, dancing the energies you find inside of yourself daily. At least 20 minutes, especially if you stretch a little bit first. Right? So that's part one, and we'll call that kind of like the maintenance movement. Part two is committing to going at least once a week to a gathering that is either ecstatic dance or five rhythms dance, some sort of Gabrielle Roth kind of thing, um, where you're going to go into a much larger space, a communal space. You don't have to worry about the music. You don't have to worry about holding the container and that there's more energy than you. And in that context, you're still going to dance your energies. And so this is the thing that's important about the dance challenge. The important thing is that you are dancing the energies within you. Or another way to say that would be you are letting those energies move you. And then through dancing them, you're discovering who they are. When I allow an energy to dance me, to move my body, I can feel from the inside out what this energy is really about. And then the third possibility in doing that is I can find a way to express and release these energies. So there's two more challenges. One is a renewed challenge. It's an old challenge that's been out there since the first year of Why Shamanism Now, which is the 30-day challenge to actually do the clear visualization and running your energy for grounding and boundaries every day. And you can find those visualizations for that in the old radio show archives on um, cultivating well-being something like that but there 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 those radio shows are there in the archives to do that and then the final challenge would be to come and take the clearing class with me learn the clearing practice and do it absolutely as explained as taught for 30 days and to then if you honestly do not feel that you have not changed yourself in those 30 days i'll actually refund your tuition and so you can take any of these challenges for 30 days. And these are my mental health challenges. is to understand that we have the capacity to change the soil of our life so that it supports 
mental and spiritual well-being, physical well-being instead of illness. And, and it doesn't even require psychology. So next week, we will explore David Tacey's remedies for mental illness from his perspective more deeply when I have a chance to recover from this last two months. So he argues that the answers to our common mental health problems like addiction, chronic abuse, depression, phobias, anxiety, all lie in leaving the confines of conventional medicine and that instead we must turn toward our innate spiritual self who makes meaning of things. And he argues, just like Maladoma Somme two weeks ago and Gabor Mate last week, that listening to our heart and soul is necessary if we are to make sense of our physical and mental well-being and then to engage the numinous in healing the wholeness of the self. So I would like to thank the ancestral helping spirits for gathering around us here today, for the earth below, the sky above, for their constant patience in renewing these answers for us again and again and again, in spite of the fact they've been the same answers since the dawn of humanity. So I give thanks to them for their patience. And I give thanks to the heart that unites us in all of this. So please be aware that there are two upcoming classes in Portland over the fall. One is a basic shamanic journeying class, which will be offered here September 13th one-day class, and the other is the clearing class, the actual energy clearing, which will be offered here October 10th through 12th in Portland. It is a weekend class, um, goes from Friday evening to Sunday lunch, and there are no prerequisites for that class. If you'd like to register for either of these, you can go to lastmaskcenter.org, go to the calendar, go to the month, and register through the website. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.